So my name is Christine Hung, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church. I'm usually over at the Roland Heights campus, and I feel like it has been a very long time since I've been here. And really, it warms my heart so much to see all of you. Um, so it's nice to be here today. So let's, let's read this prayer together as we traditionally do. Um, as a church family, just as we prepare our hearts to receive the message. O Lord, our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our Heavenly Father, to learn from you, for you are our wonderful Counselor, and to serve you, for you are our Almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord, let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to start with a prayer as well. Father God, I pray that you are here in our presence, Lord. Father God, I pray that you are in every meditation of my heart today as I share your message to your people, Father. God, give me the confidence to know you are with me, Lord. And I pray that we all might have the ears to hear and the eyes to see the truth, the love, and the grace of our Father God in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, there's only two <clears throat> weeks left before Christmas. And I remember as a kid, wouldn't it take forever for Christmas to come? Did you grow up with those little advent candle, or those little advent calendars with those little pieces of chocolate and you couldn't wait to open the next one? It took forever. And as an adult, it just flashes by, doesn't it? It, it comes upon us too quickly and I find myself unprepared. And with everything on my plate right now in this season, I'm thinking, how do I get ready for Christmas? How do I get ready for Christmas? And like every other important question I need answered in life, I turned to Wikipedia. <laughs> and being the helpful pastor that I am, I thought I'd share with you some of my findings. Okay, this is on WikiHow, how to get ready for Christmas. And I am going to share this with you, these sage words of advice. Okay, Number one, shop for the perfect gift. Right? As the saying goes, it's better to receive, than, uh, better to give than to receive. And finding the right gift for, for someone might, may be difficult. So, you know, a lot of things that I do is go online shopping so you can beat the crowds. Right? Et cetera, et cetera. Next thing, decorate your homes. Right? As soon as Halloween is over, the Christmas lights go on. <laughs> right? And then put, uh, the, the earlier you shop for decorations, the cheaper they will be. So shop early. And whether, whether you go out and choose a real tree or get a plastic one from the basement, enjoy the annual tradition of decorating your tree with your family and friends. Isn't that sweet? Oh, it's so sweet. Eat your holidays away. <laughs> right? For example, gingerbread houses are a fun activity for family or friends. You can bake Christmas cookies. Try to do it ahead of time. One year, we tried to make Christmas cookies as presents. It took us like six hours the night before Sunday, not knowing how long it takes to bake cookies. So do it ahead of time. Baked goods are a fun gift and are tough to run out since this is the most social time of the year. 
Okay? Next, organize a party. While many families may already have an, an annual tradition, make sure to send your invites early if this is the first year organizing a family Christmas. And the fifth step, find a place to worship. Optional. That's exactly what it said on WikiHow. And I find it sad and depressing that this is what Christmas has become. It's, it's become, and honestly, I'm not trying to be the Grinch or take the fun out of Christmas. I really am not, right? But Christmas has been all about gifts and parties, and, and it's like gingerbread cookie, mandatory. Is it a worship service? Optional. And I know that WikiHow is not targeting the born-again Christian here. I know that. But I think this kind of mentality has infiltrated the church, has it not? <coughs> Christmas has become a source of stress for many, and the wasteful consumerism surrounding this occasion has become an ecological burden to the planet. Here's some sobering uh, facts. Again, I'm not trying to poo-poo on Christmas. I really am not. Just bear with me. Did you know that it costs $3,780,000,000 per day to put on decorative seasonal lights in America every year? That's more than some nations use in a year. 25% more waste from Thanksgiving to New Year's occurs during, uh, during the Christmas season. That's additional one million tons a week. A million tons of garbage. That's about five million tons, right, from Thanksgiving to New Year's. And four million tons of this is wrapping paper and shopping bags, <clears throat> right? This is almost 6,000 NFL football fields, right? That's how much garbage waste that we clutter our planet with every Christmas. 2.65 billion Christmas cards sold each year in the U.S. And this fills a football field 10 stories high. 60% Americans say they receive unwanted gifts during the holidays. And because of these unwanted gifts, statistically, a majority of people will spend five months to pay off their holiday debt. How many Christmas trees a year? What do you think? 50 million. Veronica's like closing yours. Don't, don't tell me, I can't even. 50 million Christmas trees purchased a year, and 30 million of those Christmas trees fill the land, the landfill, goes to the landfill every single year. You know, we dream about a beautifully decorated house. Right? These splendid displays of Christmas lights, hundreds of gifts under the tree, and those peaceful moments by the fire. But the holiday leaves us with discarded Christmas trees, with trash, a mountain of trash, overdue credit card bills, and long lines to exchange our unwanted gifts. And in fact, public opinion agrees. They say that Christmas is up there with divorce, moving house, 
and changing jobs as six most stressful life events. You know, isn't it true that there's some occasions during the year, like, you know, weddings or, or 50th anniversaries or Thanksgiving, a baby's first birthday, that we are meant to enjoy, but we hype it up so much and we want it to be so perfect that it becomes times of stress. So how do we prepare for Christmas in a way that doesn't leave us disappointed or empty? How do we prepare for Christmas that leaves an everlasting joy and an infinite hope? We've been going through a series uh, lately called Hope Has a Name. And Christmas, it's about hope, right? And as we study God's hope, we realize that hope in English is not actually the same in the original Greek. Right? Hope in English is like saying, I hope there are Krispy Kreme donuts at church today. Right? Or I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. Right? Hope in the original Greek has much more certainty. Right? It's not a precarious, uncertain possibility. It is a full expectation, a confidence that something is going to happen. And this is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. A couple weeks, Pastor Johnny, he kicked off the series with a sermon that demonstrated how Jesus Christ is our ultimate hope and what that looks like. Last week, Pastor Albert's sermon, he examined what our posture should be while we wait upon the Lord and how to keep this hope alive. And today, as we get ready for Christmas, today we're going to look how to prepare for the Lord's arrival, how to prepare for Christmas in a way that makes us thrive and not stress out. So how do we prepare for Christmas? First, search for the perfect gift. You know, people search high and low for the perfect gift, but we know as followers of Jesus, the perfect gift cannot be bought at a store, wrapped and put under a tree, right? The perfect gift is Jesus Christ himself, right? That's God. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? And whosoever should believe in him might have everlasting life. This is the perfect gift. And unfortunately, some of us Christians have cheapened this perfect gift. It kind of reminds me of a story of this old lady. You know, I say that it reminds me of a story, but I actually kind of made up the story. So it reminds me of the story that I made up of this old lady, right, with arthritis. And she, her plan is to knit a sweater for her favorite grandchild. And, and, and she stays up all night knitting as pain courses through her fingers, praying blessing after blessing for her child only to be disappointed on Christmas Day when this child tosses it aside to play with this flashy new fire engine truck. Too often is the gift of Jesus Christ just tossed aside and lost in the busyness of Christmas, distracted by presents and parties. So let's go back to the first Christmas. 
Who remembers? Who was the first ones to hear of the birth of Jesus Christ? Yeah, the shepherds. The shepherds. So Mary, this is for those of you that don't know the story, Mary and Joseph, Mary is the mother of Jesus. They are traveling to Bethlehem. And they arrive, there's no inn, no hotel, no place to put them up. So they go to a stable. And Jesus, the Son of God, is born on earth in a stable and placed in a feeding trough of an animal. Right? Placed in a manger. So let's read. This is Luke 2, verse 8 to 16. Now something happened with our handouts. Because I thought I double-sided them, but I only single-sided them. So there's, some of you only have one sheet. And the second half, who knows where they are right now. I really don't know. Sorry about that. Okay? So Luke 2, verse 8 to 16. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So imagine the scene. On the very first Christmas night, You know, what a gift. Like, imagine, we've heard this. Some of us have heard this literally a million times. But imagine that evening, what the shepherds must have thinking, must have thought, right? Shepherds who who were um, among the lowest and the most despised social groups at the time. And God, he chooses them to share the proclamation of the birth of his son, the shepherds. Right? They're sitting in a dark field, maybe beside you know, a, a lonely fire. And suddenly, there's a host of angels that appear, and they're shouting glory to God in the highest. Like Even just the sight of the heavenly host is just... I can't even imagine peace to those on whose God, who, who God favors, who pleases the Lord. And can you imagine? They said, okay, let's go to Bethlehem and look for, for this child. That doesn't seem like an easy feat, does it? Going from home to home to home saying, you know, it was a baby born here. Going to the stables looking for a manger with a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. 
They searched and searched. Imagine their amazement when they find him. God, the creator, the Lord, as a helpless infant in a manger. So do you search for Jesus in the same excitement and fervor? Will you search for the perfect gift and worship at his feet when you are in his holy presence? The perfect gift, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's another group around this point in history. Who are these people? Camels. Thank you. Who are riding on the camels? Pardon? The three kings, right? The wise men. Biblically speaking, did you know that they didn't actually say that they were kings? Biblically speaking, did you know that there were not exactly three? There's no number saying how many. Some people might, some people say that there might even been dozens. And did you know that they did not arrive at the birth of Jesus? How many of you know that? Like right here in our nativity scene, we see the three wise men. They don't belong here. They actually arrived, like perhaps even years afterwards, right? It says in the Bible they arrived at Mary and Joseph's home, right? Um, but this is what we can glean digging around in the history books. It's probable that the Magi, which is the original Greek for the three wise men, that the Magi uh, were scholars of astronomy and a part of a priestly caste. Right? And based on a prophecy, they knew that a special star would announce the Savior's birth. Right? So the Magi, they studied the skies night after night, waiting for the star to appear. Imagine, like night after night, like thinking, is the star, when is it going to come? And when it appeared, they traveled, historians say, like more than 600 miles, perhaps on camel, 600 miles to find the baby. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and it finally stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The wise men went to the house. There they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the Magi, they spent their lives searching for the star, ultimately the Savior, for this perfect gift. And when they found him, they were filled with joy and worshipped him. I want to be filled with joy this Christmas. You know, I don't want to miss out on this joy or to, to, and I want, I want to savor, savor that moment of worshiping him, be filled with joy. You know, Daniel Steele, he is um, a theologian, he's a pastor, a professor, and, and he searched for the Lord daily 
Lord, we're talking hours and hours just in prayer, asking and begging God, take anything away. I just want you. So this is, this is a quote from Daniel Steele. Almost every week, and sometimes every day, the pressure of his great love comes down upon my heart in such measure as to make my brain throb and my whole being, soul, body groan beneath the strain of the almost insupportable plethora of joy. Have you ever experienced that kind of joy? Have you ever been there? I mean, sometimes when we sing and when we're prayerfully seeking the Lord together, you know, I I get teary-eyed and emotional, and I really feel the presence of the Lord. But I have to say there's only been two instances when I've experienced this this overwhelming presence of the Lord. One time was at a... um, in Santa Maria, there's a prayer room there. One time, there one time it was at home one morning when I was doing my quiet time, and the presence of the Lord was so thick in the room. I'm by myself, and I'm like laughing and crying on my own, just tears streaming down my face. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so thick, I literally felt like I can cut it with a knife. Imagine feeling that every week and sometimes every day. Do you search for this? Do you search for this intimacy with the Lord? Can you imagine a life knowing the joy of the Lord as intimately as that? You know, so what does that look like? You know, there's, there's this guy that I met last night on Skid Row. His name is Albert. <laughs> I told him that's my husband's name, and he said, oh, that's not a coincidence, Christine. (laughs) He has spent 25 years in jail. He was a gangbanger, you know, drugs, crime, violence, alcohol, the whole bit, right? For 25 years, he searched for the meaning of life. And then overnight, just bang, overnight, Jesus took a hold of his heart, and everything that he tried to erase from his mind, his heart, everything, all the pain and anger, the, the, um, the, the drugs, all these things, like um, these addictions, God erased that overnight. And this man, what he did after being rescued from the Lord, by the Lord, I mean, Every day for four months, he read the Bible, six to eight hours a day, four months, every day, six to eight hours, and the joy in his face is incredible. And, and, and as a grown man, uh, an ex-gangbanger, he had tears in his eyes as he described how the Lord changed his life. And man, he searched him, and this man knows the joy of the Lord. He was no longer captive by his old self. He was a new man. So right now, he's on Skid Row, and he teaches Bible study 
Tuesday nights to gangbangers and skid row. Now that is redemption. Amen. Jeremiah 29:13. It says, "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart." Well, some of you are seeking, but you haven't found him. And perhaps it's because the Lord is right there beside you. I want all of you, not just a portion. I want all of you. Seek me with all your heart. He wants to be found by you. He, he crossed the universe, became a baby to be found by you, to know you intimately, to be able to be known intimately by you. You know, we think there's so much more important things to chase after. You know, our jobs, our families, a spouse, money, fame, whatever it is. Nothing compares to him. Nothing of this world could possibly replace Jesus. You know, in Philippians 3, it says, everything else is worthless. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, Paul says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, as loss so that I could gain Christ. Can you count everything in your life as loss so that you can gain Christ? Is this the way we search for Jesus Christ? I encourage you, search for him this way this Christmas. Okay, so that's one. Two, put up the Christmas lights. I know it's a little cheesy, right? But I kind of like it, right? Put up the Christmas light, right? Singular. So one family on our, on our Sabbath, right? I mean, it's not one family. I have one family. One time on our Sabbath, my family, we were uh, in this forest, and we were camping. And, um, and it was so far away from any city that it was so dark there, especially when we kind of went farther into the woods. Pitch black, really, really dark. And, of course, my crazy kids, they say, let's go on a night hike. And I'm like, aw, is that sad? Nathaniel's sleeping. I'll stay home. I'll stay in the RV with the kid, with, with Nathaniel. You go with Daddy. And so they went, right? They went into the woods with their little flashlights. No light. Like, even the dark, the sky was dark, everything. And then they come running back to me, you know, and they're all excited. Their eyes are shining. And, and they were all, like, you know, the good kind of scared, you know, the good kind of scared where it's exciting. And, and, you know, and one thing about my kids is when they experience something good, they want me to experience it too, right? Like, for example, Eli, he'll go to McDonald's and go to, like, the fountain drinks, and he'll get his cup, and he'll fill it with every single color possible, and then he'll drink it, and, Mom, you've got to try this. And he will not let me go until I try it. And so I'm like, hmm, great, yummy. And so, of course, they wanted me to drag, they wanted to drag me into the middle of the forest, right? So Albert, he couldn't go with us. He had to take care of the baby. Like any good mom, I said, okay, I'll go with you. 
And so we go, like my, I'm thinking Blair Witch Project. I don't know if that <laughs> dates me. I don't know if you know, I, this is what I'm thinking, right? And so I'm going to the middle of the forest. My, I could hear my heart beating, right? And then Eli does the unthinkable. In the middle of the forest, he turns off the light. <laughs> For the longest 10 seconds of my life, right? I couldn't even see my hand in front of me. And then he turns it on. It, it went on. There was no malfunction. You know, it came on. And when he turned it on, the light of that little lantern, it flooded the woods, right? It flooded the forest. And that little lantern never seemed so bright before. You know, because the light shines the brightest in the darkest place. And I say this because... The night Jesus was born, he came as a light in the darkness, right? And we romanticize Jesus' birth sometimes, don't we? Like, I mean, we, they're in a cozy, picturesque little stable, and there's these friendly-looking cl- uh, clowns. There were no clowns. <laughs> these friendly-looking cows, you know, that probably smelled really good, right? And we have this manger, right? This, this manger with, like, that distressed red oak that probably came from Pottery Barn or something like that. Like, we're thinking of this, you know, Mary and Joseph all, like, you know, looking perfect. But let me allow you, let me, I mean, allow me to describe to you the circumstances in which our Savior was truly born. All right, first of all, the people of Israel, okay, God's people, God walked with the, his people, right, for forever since the time of Abraham, just walking with his people. But then for 400 years, he is silent, right? No no pillar of fire or, or smoke in the temple, nothing. No words from their prophets. God was silent for 400 years. There was a promise of a coming Messiah, but during that time, total silence. The people of Israel felt totally detached, disconnected from the presence of their God. Okay, that's the first thing. Second of all, the people were under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire, right? So political darkness reigned in the nation at this time, in a nation they could not even call their own, right? And so even within their own people, there were these competing sects, right, that, that caused a fractured society. Third of all, Mary and Joseph themselves, they were not in an ideal situation. Like Mary, she was regarded as loose, unchaste, unfaithful, because nobody could believe in this virgin birth. And not only that, they're forced to travel like a hundred miles over to Bethlehem to take part in this, this census that, um, that, that the Roman Empire was, was demanding on them. And, and I can't even imagine, like I've been eight months pregnant traveling from Taiwan over to Canada, and that was incredibly uncomfortable. Imagine a hundred miles, we're talking days and days and days, right? Mary, who's about to give birth on a donkey. And then, so finally, like she doesn't have a warm bed to sleep in that night. She, she goes to the inn to find out that there's no room for her. I can't even imagine Mary, a young teen, her first baby, might I add, delivering a baby in a dirty, 
stable, with stinky cows, you know, no nurse, no midwife, no running water. She has to wash the baby off herself after it's born. I mean, imagine her confusion, her anxiety, maybe even like total bewilderment that here she is giving birth to the Son of God. But in those circumstances? And on top of everything else, later on we find out that there's this crazy narcissistic king named King Herod who wants to kill baby Jesus. So he gives a decree to kill all babies on the, under the age of two, you know, forcing this little family to become refugees in a foreign country. So in the midst of this oppressive, menacing darkness, the light of Jesus Christ comes in. There is so much profound beauty to this, and it really should encourage everyone here who is going through a dark season. Right? That Jesus, the Son of God, he understands this darkness that you walk in. He's felt it. He's experienced it himself. You know, I don't know, I just find it encouraging that when we look back in the first Christmas, that he came in as a light in this darkness. You know, and he says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So with Jesus, there's always hope. There's always light and always life. And no matter what kind of circumstances that you find yourself in, Jesus can be that light. Don't ever think that your life is too dark or too discouraging, too hopeless. There is no darkness that is greater than the light of our Lord and Savior. And remember, like that little lantern in the darkest place, the light shines the brightest. But here's the thing. You know, Jesus, he calls us to be light in the darkness as well. You know, he calls us the light of the world. And, and if he's like the sun, as in the sun, then we must be like the moon, right? That we were, we were illuminated because we were reflecting the light of Jesus. On from our own lives, into our own lives, out to others, right? And it says that as his people, we should be like a city on a hill, that it cannot be hidden, right? And our good deeds should shine the light, God's light in a way that everyone would be praising the name of God. So yesterday, as um, Johnny was sharing, Pastor Johnny our church did this, right, in our own small way, right? Like Angel Tree Project, can you imagine? It was so sad. Yeah, oh, yesterday morning we were at a prayer meeting, and, and a, a Karen Bustamante, she handed out the profiles of each of these child, children. Six-year-old little boy, and the father is not going to come out until 2050. That is darkness. 
And the fact that our campus was able to be a part of that and to be light in that darkness, like that, that's amazing. And on the Roland Heights campus, uh, Pastor Johnny mentioned that we went to Skid Row, right? We had about 30 people. You know, we had about 20, 30 people cooking for, the, for two days. We fed over 900 people in Skid Row last night. We sat, we were out there for about four hours, right? Feeding the people in that community. <clears throat> You know, our church, it, it, we are putting up the Christmas light. We are showing the light of Jesus to people around us. There's something about that picture that just strikes my heart. That's, that's Chris, by the way, for those of you that don't know him. Sandra Wong's husband, he's at the Roland Heights campus. He used to be here with us. I encourage every one of us this Christmas season to do everything possible to be a light for others. You know, and I think perhaps there's at least two camps that a lot of us fall under, right? So one of them is, you know what, Christine, I'm too busy. I'm showing the light of Jesus to my family, to my friends, to the people around me. I'm too busy for the homeless, for the needy, for the marginalized. But David Platt, a pastor and author, he says, if our lives do not reflect radical compassion for the poor, there is reason to wonder if Christ is in us at all. Jesus was radically compassionate for the poor, and he calls us to be the same, are we? And then the second possibility, you're good at serving other people. Your ability to love on the marginalized and the hopeless and the helpless, it's really high. You're really good at it. But your empathy for those in your own family is lacking. Your ability to forgive the people in your life and to love unconditionally is weak. Your light, the light of Jesus, is to shine in both of these places. So I encourage you this Christmas to pray that God increases your capacity to love and share his light in all these places, at home, in our marriage, in our workplace, out on the streets. So put up the Christmas light. Okay, point three. Prepare your hearts and celebrate. Okay, prepare your hearts and celebrate. When I think about the person that prepared the way for the arrival of Jesus, I think about... John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. His own father, when John was in the womb um, of his mom, his own father, Zechariah, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God. You will go ahead of the Lord to prepare the way for him. You will tell his people how they can be saved. You will tell them that their sins can be forgiven. And all that will happen because our God is tender and caring his kindness will bring the rising sun to us from heaven. It will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. It will guide our feet on the path 
of peace. So what does he say? He says, repent. The first word of John the Baptist's gospel is to repent. The first word of Jesus' gospel is to repent. Right? The first word in preaching the, the ministry of the 12 disciples is to repent. The first word of Paul the Apostle's ministry is to repent. To repent. What does that mean? Repent, it means to be turning totally opposite from your life of sin and death and into the arms of Jesus, right? That is to repent, right? So um, we see here that, okay, this is inside your, your outline. It says, Jesus, John's message was not repent because you're a sinner, right? He says, repent because the kingdom of God is near, right? The Messiah, the king is coming, so our response of his impending arrival of the Lord is to repent, right? This is what it means, to repent. We just sang, joy to the world, the Lord has come. It says, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. That is repenting. Having room in your heart for him. Okay? Closing story. We almost made it. <clears throat> So during my first pregnancy, I had this little book, right? This is when I was pregnant with Eli. I had this little book, and it told me every week what was going on to this little thing that was growing in my womb, right? And I tried to be really disciplined that I wouldn't go ahead and read. So I wanted to just, I wanted to bask in it, like just to really, like, really ponder upon what was happening to this little life form in me, so weak. By week, I would read this book. Um, so, for example, like eight weeks, his little fingers had grown and his little nose, right? By nine weeks, his eyes developed. He no longer has his little tail, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? By 11 weeks, he's almost fully formed and he, he knew how to hiccup. Right? By 19 weeks, he could hear my heartbeat. Very cool fact. By 27 weeks, he could suck his thumb. Right? And so I, 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 I celebrated each of these milestones as it came to pass. Right? Each of these milestones. It was just, I loved the book. And I often wondered, what must Mary have thought what was she thinking? Oh, Karen, you are here. I'm sorry, I was looking for you when I was like talking about you. I thought you weren't here coming today. So, anyways. So, you know, thinking about Mary, right? Like, feeling the little flutter of the baby. You know, I know guys, you can't really, you know, just check with me. So, the, the feeling of the baby hiccuping and Mary thinking, God is hiccuping in my womb, right? And every time the baby moved, thinking the God that created me is moving in my belly. Like, what was Mary thinking? 
you know? And I also marvel at the stories that I hear. Somebody just told me the story. Oh, one of the doctors at the Roland Heights campus. She said that there are women that come to the hospital and they say, oh, my stomach hurts so much. I don't know what's going on. Can you help me, please? And then, oh, pops a baby, like, a couple of hours later. <laughs> totally unaware that she's been pregnant for the past nine months. And I think she's been totally unaware of all those crazy things that were happening in her belly. Little fingers forming, nose, hiccups. You know, this little baby hearing her every word. Totally unaware of it. I want to spend this Christmas fully aware of every movement of God in my life and the lives of others. This is how I want to spend Christmas. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the beauty of our Savior. I want to taste the goodness of God. I want to experience the joy of the Lord. Do you? So how do we get ready for Christmas? Search for the perfect gift. Seek his face. Go to a prayer meeting. Read your Bible with your children, right? Put up the Christmas light. Shine his light to others in your family, out on the streets, in your community, in your workplace, by being a light of Jesus. Three, prepare your heart and celebrate. You know, repent and love the Lord in obedience to him. I'd like to close by showing a little video about exactly how we are to celebrate. Let me see if I can do this. Was it worth the wait? Yes. So let's join this Advent conspiracy. Right? Advent, the coming of the Lord. Let's worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. What will be your birthday gift to Jesus this Christmas? Let's pray. Father God, we truly aspire to love you more. And I feel like sometimes the things of this world just drags us back, drags us down. All the busyness of Christmas, buying gifts, and and it's not wrong, God, I know. But are we buying gifts in celebration of your love, or are we just giving it because that's what everybody else does? God, to think upon the first Christmas, you coming into this world of darkness as a light, how are we to respond to that as your children? How are we to respond to the darkness that is still here in our midst, maybe in our own lives, the lives of others? God, it is faith, having the hope, knowing that you arrive, that you arrive every time we call upon your name. God, move us, move this church to call upon your name this Christmas, that we will not 
forget to marvel at your birth, that we would not forget to ponder these things of your truth as Mary did. God, help us to stop and think about what Christmas truly means. Lord, use our hands, use our feet, use our will, use our voice, Father God, use our hearts, Lord, to pour out your compassion. Father God, not even our own compassion, but God, your compassion to the people that is on your heart this Christmas. We praise your name. Thank you for the most perfect gift. In Jesus' name, amen.